Hi, everybody. We are going to continue on today in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to go back to where we were. Uh, remember last week we took a little pause and jumped over to Ephesians 6 in order to uh, learn about uh, you know, uh, what God's uh, will is in regards to parents and children relationship. But now we're going to go back to where we were before that. So we are today uh, in Ephesians 4, uh, 25 to uh, 5-2. So I'll read it for us, and uh, we'll go right into the ser- uh, sermon portion. Ephesians 4, 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no, no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander uh, be put away from you, uh, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That is God's word. Let's uh, bow our heads together and uh, pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we um, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, your word is the light to our feet, to our paths. And apart from your word, apart from your guidance, God, we cannot go anywhere. God, we come before you hungry for your word. So may you fill our hearts, um, you know, with what you have to say today to us. And uh, may you convict our hearts through your spirit and use me to be clear in the delivery of your word so that um, no uh, voice of my own will be mixed into your holy word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for everybody here and uh, those who are listening and joining in through live stream as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, with that, let's um, go into our time of the word. And um, as usual, I have three points for you uh, to help you follow along. And those are first, living as the new creation, second, living as members of the body, and third, Living as beloved children. The title for this sermon is The New Life in Christ. So, first, let's go right in. First point living as a, the new creation. So, today's passage starts with the word therefore. And whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's important for us to see what therefore is therefore. And 
in today's passage, in our context, the word will, will indicate that today's passage stems from the content of the previous passage. Uh, so let me just give, do a quick recap. It's a very important passage that we went over last time. And that passage was really about the new uh, life in Christ. That is, back in uh, verses 22 through 24, Paul explained that uh, the believers in Christ at their conversion are born again, uh, meaning that uh, there Paul used the you know, terminology of uh, clothes or garment. You, know, you put off your old sinful nature and instead you put on uh, the new nature that has a new desire for God. In fact, you have new power through the Holy Spirit to change and become a new uh, person. So that's who you are. And now, by saying therefore in the beginning of this passage, Paul will now spell out what it means for us to live a new life uh, in light of having new desire and new heart and nature. So with that in mind, let's you know dive right into uh, today's passage, uh, try to see what Paul says about the new life. So follow with me. Verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You know, we are to uh, get rid of lies in our conversations and claims, you know, no matter how innocuous those lies seem like, uh, because lies are lies, even, even the white lies are lies too. It's because, you know, God and his word are truth. And therefore, those who have been born again, who are new creation in Christ, uh, they are to speak the truth. Lies just do not fit with the new life. And then verses 26 through 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, it's a very important verse, actually, and I think maybe at some point I'll hash this out in more detail. I actually just finished a book about uh, anger uh, in the Bible and how to process anger. And I think it's a very timely topic uh, in this day and age where there are a lot of anger all around in our society and culture. But for today's purpose, uh, we're just going through the whole passage, so I'll uh, mention briefly what this verse is about. But at some point, I want to cover for us and do some teaching about anger. But here, Paul is basically acknowledging that there can be occasions for you know, righteous anger. There can be uh, anger that's justified because, for example, you might be experiencing a form of injustice. In that case, your anger uh, is understandable and also even necessary in certain cases. However, you know, because we're not God, which means that you know, we are you know, tainted, with, tainted with sin, when God, you know, his anger can be perfectly righteous and holy. But for us, we may start with the righteous anger, but along the way, it will be tainted with sin. So that if we do not process that properly, you know, our anger can become, you know, dangerous even 
that can destroy relationships and even ourselves. So the new creation in Christ, those who are born again, therefore have to deal with any form of anger, you know, unless the anger controls us. Then let's keep going. Verse 28, it says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, people typically steal things, uh, maybe first because they are, you know, lazy. They just want to steal things instead of working for it. Or they have ultimately have greed and, you know, covetousness in their hearts. And, and that's not fitting with the, you know, new creation in Christ. So those who are, again, new creatures in Christ are to work diligently and faithfully, not slack off. Uh, and instead of, you know, trying to only get things for themselves, uh, you know, those who are in Christ are to be generous with their resources. And that's what, that's the opposite of stealing. You know, you are to work hard and, you know, uh, work so that you can serve others instead of, you know, accumulating things for yourselves. And I want to pause here a little bit. I think it's a very applicable point for many of us, you know, those who are, you know, studying and working in workplaces right now. The question I want to ask us uh, or perhaps challenge ourselves with is, you know, do I study and work so that, you know, I can only spend my income for my gadgets, the latest gadgets, or for my taste buds, you know, food, um, and my leisure and pleasures. Is that the only purpose that I have for my work or studies? Or, um, you know, in addition to these good things, leisures are good things, you know, there's no prohibition in the Bible that you cannot use your money for yourself, but can you, do you have room in your heart to serve others so that if there's any surplus resources, would you be willing to generously give to other people, especially those who are in need? I think ultimately the question is, is my life all about me or am I a servant? Because Jesus was a servant to all and those who are born in him must follow his suit. So do not steal. And then lastly, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Words. Words matter, and words are very powerful, right? Because they come from your heart, and the words can either heal people encourage people, or it can destroy people's lives. I think especially in this day and age of, you know, social media and, you know, viral videos, you know, we see a lot of damage happening because of careless words. And Paul's saying, you know, those who are new in Christ must examine their hearts and express their hearts through their words. Uh, and they use their words to revive spirits around them of other people, and also not just, you know, speaking flowery words all the time, but, you know, you can speak truth too, but in order to 
uh, be constructive and gracious, not to destroy other people when you speak the truth. And that shows, you know, following Christ invades into even lives of aspects of words too, not just coming to church, every aspect of your life. So that's why Paul, I believe, summarizes all this in verses 31 and 32. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Uh, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This saying what we've been talking about. As a new creature in Christ, we put away all the you know, sins and you know, sinful acts and words and attitudes towards other people. And on the other hand, you, you know, put on uh, the virtues, godly virtues that can benefit other people. That's what it means to be you know, living as new creatures uh, in Christ. If you go to the next slide, um, by show of hands, how many of you know this book called The Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carl? Great. Okay. I actually preached in, in the morning in different church uh, today, and yeah, almost everybody raised their hands too. I didn't grow up in America, so maybe I, I was missing it out. But anyways, I, I, I read this book with Deb for Seth, uh, for my son. So I'm new to this, but... You guys are not, so that's great. Anyways, for those of you who do not know uh, what this book is about, let me tell you about it. It's a story about a caterpillar that has a self-control issue. Uh, As the name of the book suggests, the caterpillar is very hungry, and it eats whatever it finds. It keeps eating more and more food, going from you know, all kinds of fruits to lollipop, to cupcakes, and even salami. And in the end, it gets a stomach ache. But then through the miracle of the nature, uh, it goes through, you know, metamorphosis. And, you know, from the cocoon, you know, out comes a beautiful butterfly. So now it's no longer a worm that uh, crawls on the dirty ground you know, uncontrollably looking for food that gives it a stomach ache. But now it's a butterfly flies through the sky, you know, showing off its beautiful wings. And it visits, you know, high-class food now, right? You know, it, it visits beautiful flowers and eats their sweet juice. Totally different creature now. I, I share that because it's like that spiritually too. You know, when, you know, one goes through the spiritual metamorphosis called, you know, conversion. You know, he or she can no longer crawl in the mire of sin anymore. It just doesn't fit the beauty of the new form. It's a new creature. They can no longer uncontrollably eat sins until they get sick. No longer. Rather, they now freely fly everywhere, you know, seek the beauty, seek the beautiful virtues of God, you know, and suck on the sweetness of the beauty of living for God and becoming like Him. That's what the new form, new creature is all about. And therefore, Paul is saying, if you are a believer in Christ, live differently now. You are a new creation. Seek beauty. Do not, you know, 
still stay in the mire of sin. So living as the new creation. Second, living as members of the body. Now, there's something very important for us to notice at this point in the text. You know, Paul, you know, just talked about living differently as a new creation, uh, but he wasn't exhorting that to the believers just so they can individually become exemplary individuals. Rather, his goal is the corporate church, that he wanted them to you know, keep their church community healthy through their godly characters. So, for example, we looked at in uh, verse 25 that, you know, they are to stop lying but tell the truth because why? He said, they are members one of another about the corporate body, not about the individuals here. And then another one in verse 28, you know, we saw that the thieves should no longer steal but work faithfully so that what? So that they can provide for other people, other people who are in the church. That's what he means by that. And, and also in verse 29, you know, we were again told to use words to, to do what? To build others up. Again, people in the community. And then follow with me in verse 30, we encounter a very interesting verse. You know, it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let's take a pause and think about it. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God? What that means is God is a person. He has emotion. He is grieved by something that we do. So what is it? Well, first of all, we need to know that the Holy Spirit has a special prominent function in the body of Christ as well as in the lives of the believers. So that's why it says, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The day of redemption is, of course, when Jesus comes back, when he's going to restore all our bodies into resurrection bodies, and the church as a corporate body will be triumphant. It's going to be a glorious day. But until then, the Holy Spirit seals us, meaning he's going to protect us, uh, not just as individuals, but also, again, as a church. That's Holy Spirit's function. And earlier we saw in chapter three, verse four, verse three, chapter four, verse three, uh, there, and we saw that uh, Holy Spirit has united the church and Paul exhorted there uh, to maintain that unity that the Spirit provided for us. So put that together. Paul is saying that until the day of redemption, until the end, the Holy Spirit's job is to dwell in the body of Christ, in the church, here and now, to seal us, to secure us, to protect us, to unite the church. And so now we know what that means then. Now we know what it means by grieving the Holy Spirit. What that means is we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin in ways that will disrupt the unity of the church in ways that disrupt the peace of the church community. So with that in mind, I want to share with you this important verse about the church. It just shows how important, uh, what kind of significance that church has in the mind of God. So look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. It says, 
Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Strong words here. But I need you to follow with me here. What kind of emotion that God has towards his church. What it means is that you know, as we've been learning, each local church is filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. Again, to, to do, to secure and protect and unite the church. And this is the body of Christ. That's why God protects it. And God is saying, if anyone disrupts the peace and unity of the church, if anyone destroys this, the, the church that God united, God will destroy that person. As harsh as this may sound, that shows how God loves the church, how God takes CLC and local churches personally. God does not take the disruption that's caused by sin in the church lightly. So therefore, that's what it means when when Paul says, you know, do not sin and follow these virtues. What it means by that is, Preserve the unity of the Spirit in the church. Do not ever dare um, to disrupt the unity that God provided for each church because God takes it very seriously. That's what it means to be grieving the Holy Spirit if we disrupt the peace of the church. Uh, I shared uh, this illustration before, but um, you know, every summer, I don't know about your house, but every summer, I uh, deal with ants. And you see that I, I crossed out the name there. I, I didn't want any product placement while preaching, so just you know, I'm not going to tell you unless you you know ask me individually or something. Um, but you know, it's. It gets kind of annoying, right? If you spot ants on the bathroom floor, and uh, at at, po- at one point we we saw like groups of ants on on our floors. So I was like, oh my gosh! But when I see those things, that's when I know that it's time for me to use my secret weapon. And my secret weapon is that you know, it's 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 not an ordinary ant killer. You know, just like spray them and, you know, like the ants die instantly. This is different. And this is how it works. Uh, as you can see there uh, in, the, in the picture, uh, it comes with these small plastic containers uh, that contains uh, liquid inside. And as you can imagine, the li- liquid, of course, is poison. But it's not a any other kind of poison, but, you know, the, it's special poison that doesn't kill ants instantly, um, but it, it kills ants slowly. And I place these, you know, baits in, you know, the areas where I see the most ants, the most uh, number of ants. And what, what the ants do is they enter into these baits and they take a sip of uh, the poison and they get out and they go back to their colony. And apparently... The ants share this liquid poison with the rest of their ant friends, 
in the colony, and the entire population dies. And I'm happy to report that you know I've been using this uh, for several times now, and man, 100%. I have not seen ants, you know, as as many as before. So it works. Why do I share this? Uh, I think it's sad to say this, but this can be a good picture of the church uh, if its members do not take their sins seriously. And it may start with a few individuals, you know, carrying the poison of their sins. You know, that's just, you know, my guilty pleasure here and there. But if, when their words and actions become poisonous and it impacts other people in the community, it, it contaminates one member after another. And before we know it, the whole church is affected and even destroyed. I think especially the sins of gossip and slander. Um, and that's a dangerous thing. And I think that that's what Paul is saying here. Take your sins seriously because they affect the church. But I do want to uh, give a hopeful note here too because if we uh, have see the, the converse of this illustration, um, you know, ants are also known for their dedication to their own group, right? Their own colony. And if they do not eat the poison, but the, you know, each ant works hard, that's what they're known for. And through their hard work, through their contribution, the whole colony thrives. And that's a, you know, good illustration for our church too. You know, just as small sins of each member can destroy the whole body, conversely, if each one of us truly pursue godly virtues and characters through Christ, we can make this body very healthy, thriving, a good church. It takes each one of us taking our sins seriously and at the same time, you know, striving to grow in Christ, you know, displaying and, um, you know, using and, um, you know, affecting others through uh, our godly character that God brings out. So let's remember that as we, you know, go forward as a church, especially this summer, you know, a lot of different things planned and, you know, uh, beyond that too, let's remember that each one of us, our sins and our growth have consequence to our church. So living as members of the body. And lastly, living as beloved children. So now Paul will end the passage with, uh, I believe, an uh, ind- indispensable element uh, in building the church up. And that element is none other than God's grace. So, so please follow with me. Last two verses says this. Uh, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, If you just read these verses fast, it may just seem like the same thing again. You know, Paul is saying, you know, imitate God, be like God in your character, walk in love especially. 
you know, be loving like God. But if you look closely, you know, Paul does not give these commands in a vacuum, but rather, uh, if you notice, Paul is reminding them of who they are, reminding them of, of their identity before he gives the command. He's saying that they are, the believers are God's adopted children, that they are loved, and that they have been fully forgiven because Christ's sacrifice was perfect to the point that he uses the illustration of smell, that God smells the sacrifice of Christ, and he says, it smells good, and I accept it. Not only the sacrifice, but I accept all the believers in Christ. And that is the identity that believers have. While Paul is saying, before you try to obey and try to fight your sins and grow in your spiritual journey, he says, know who you are first. Know that you have been purchased. You're not going to obey in order to earn God's grace, earn God's acceptance and his love. No, it's already been given to you. Because what Christ has done for you on the cross and his life and resurrection, it's been given to you by faith. And that's who you are. So from that identity, now obey. You see, if we don't have that order right, having the identity and then obey, but if you're trying to obey and then try to, you know, gain confidence and, um, you know, acceptance, then these two things will happen. First, on good days when we feel great and we feel like we're growing spiritually and we don't feel like we're struggling with the different sins in our lives, then what's going to happen is we're going to feel proud, you know, sooner or later, and we may look down on others in the community who may not be doing as well. And that church will not survive. It's going to be natural selection church. My goodness, no grace. Whoever is doing better outwardly will survive, and those who are not doing well outwardly will fade away. Not a healthy church. And on the other hand, on bad days in, in this pattern, you know, when we feel like we've failed, we feel like we're not doing well spiritually, and, you know, we are feeling lukewarm, and, you know, we keep failing, we keep falling into the same sins over and over. We ask, am I even Christian? And, and if that's the pattern, and that church will not be good either. Because you are putting your worth in your performance. But if you put your worth and identity in what Christ has already done for you, that he already forgave you by his own sacrifice, that he loves infinitely, apart from your performance, on your good days and bad days, his love sustains you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. If you know that, then you can obey and you know build up the church with freedom and gladness. Um, I guess next slide. Um, it's a picture of me with my mother. Um, and the last Sunday was you know Mother's Day, obviously. So uh, I took a picture of this picture and then you know sent it to her and said Happy Mother's Day. 
Uh, and as I was doing that, um, I had some time to, you know, think about my mom. And uh, I don't know why, but as I was thinking about her, I started thinking about, uh, you know, two or three times in my life, especially during my teenage years, where I, you know, deeply hurt my mom's feelings through my harsh words. And I don't know why I remember, maybe I felt guilty perhaps over, uh, you know, through all these years, but I thought of those moments, you know, when I knew for sure that she was really hurt. But while I was thinking about those times, you know, I also thought about just, you know, her attitude towards me through all these years, you know, I'm I'm turning 36 now, so, or 36 years, perhaps, uh, I thought about her attitude, and I realized that, you know, her love for me has been very, very, very consistent. You know, her love language in terms of giving or uh, in terms of loving other people is to serve and especially cooking. So whenever she comes over, you know, these days from Georgia, she always cooks and, you know, does everything for me and, you know, she never stops serving me. Keeps, you know, making me really yummy food. Um, and, and I know that she always prays for me day and night. Like, I know that. And, um, whenever we talk, you know, her main concern and main focus is whether I'm doing okay. <laughs> that's her concern. That, that's what occupies her mind whenever we talk. So I know that she really, really loves me, you know, even despite, you know, my flaws and all those times I probably hurt her over those years. And in response, you know, I know I can always go to her, you know, what, no matter how I'm doing, you know, whether it's my good day or bad day, I know I can just go to her and I'll receive that love. And as I'm sharing that, I know, and as, as I shared last week, you know, maybe we all have different relationships with with our mothers and parents. So, you know, there are different degrees here. But what I wanted to uh, show you and and wanted you to see is that, you know, if we recollect those memories of our parents, you know, not perfect. Yeah, my mom's not perfect either, obviously. But as we look through perhaps the lens of grace and see those times when our parents were giving us unconditional love. I think that's a glimpse of how much God loves us. That his love, literally, from Old Testament, is that it's steadfast. It doesn't change. He loves us no matter what because of Christ dying in our place and giving us his righteousness. It will never change. Is it cliche? Oh, God loves me. I know it's, we say that maybe frequently all the time, but if you really understand, again, through perhaps examples of your, your own parents loving you, man, God loves us. So we can always go to him, even when we know we've grieved him, even when we know we've grieved his spirit through our sins we can still come to God and receive His grace and experience that otherworldly love that God has for us. And when we know that, 
And from that place of security and assurance, we long to obey God and fight our sins and grow in our uh, godly virtues that Paul talked about. I think that's how we can grow as a church. It's not about do, 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 but be what God calls you to be, being a beloved child of God. So church, I mean, I love our church. I, I love that we are gathering here right now, you know, even through online too. And let's do this, that we pursue God through God's grace. And remember, as we do that, it's not just going to be your accomplishment, but it's going to affect the church and our church will be beautiful because of your effort um, to seek God by his grace. Let's pray together. Before we sing the song, um, let's spend some time together. I'm just processing the, the word that we just heard. And may I encourage you to especially think about God's love for you, what He has done to make you His own. You know, Romans 5 says we were God's enemies. You know, beyond grieving Him, we're His enemies. And while we're still His enemies, Jesus Christ came and died for us. And now that we become His children through our faith in Christ. Now he will never let us go. Even on our worst days, through our worst mistakes, God will still love us. We can always receive his grace. Can we receive that assurance together that God really, really loves us like that. And from there on, we long to please Him. So can we meditate on this together before we sing the song that God loves me. He is working in my heart even when I don't feel it. So I trust Him and I want to keep living for Him. Lord, help me. Help me to understand Your love for me. We ask God to change us. Um, that's a liberating thing. Because you are already accepted in Christ. And, uh, and as you live for Him, uh, you are not achieving the perfection. But as you strive to obey day by day, you know, God is accomplishing it for us. That's why we say in the Bible, salvation belongs to the Lord from beginning to the end. So we can cast all our burdens onto Him 
and be free. That's what true freedom means. And then we will not you know, judge one another either because no matter where they are, no matter where everybody is in their spiritual journey, there's always hope because God is in charge of that person's journey. Just surrendering to God, Lord, I just cast everything onto you, Lord. I have burdens and anguish and sense of failure, all these things that I wrestle with. Lord, I'm sorry that you know I try to be my own savior by you know wrestling with those things by myself. But Lord, I honor you as my savior by giving you all these things to you right now. Help me. Help me. Let's just pray, asking God that. And I'll close for us, but let's rest with God together. Come to the steadfast love of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord. God, we are all you know, fragile people. We cannot take another step apart from your grace, Lord. Uh, but thank you that in your presence there's freedom. Thank you that um, you know, your yoke is easy because you are a gentle Savior to us. So Lord, help us rest in you. And uh, God, you know uh, where we have been and where we are going and where we are. God, we just want to walk with you and um, live our lives uh, in freedom and joy apart from the, the temptation to control our lives by achieving X, Y, and Z. Lord, free us so we can enjoy you alone and stop living in bondage. And as we do that, Lord, our ultimate prayer is that it's not just going to be about individuals, but our church may be a healthy church where we get to experience and observe and celebrate um, different stories of healing uh, because we're all following after you, God. So bless our church in that and um, you know, may you continue to reveal yourself to us as our Heavenly Father. Thank you for your word. Uh, day by day and week and week out, by which we uh, walk and have hope. Let's finish our time together with the Lord.